why do we sell in a way that we don't want to be sold to? And I was thinking about this recently, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the typical sales motion is directed at enterprises, like big companies. You have to have a sales motion for that. You're not selling to a human. But then for some reason, people take that enterprise sales motion and they replicate it when they're selling to consumers or to small business. And those, so are, those are relationship selling. That's very different. Hello, hello, hello. I'm super excited today because I have the Allison Taylor, co-CEO and co-founder of Jane App, um, here to share her journey. But before we start our, our blah blahs and story stories, let me just break into an introduction. Allison Taylor is the co-founder and co-CEO of Jane, an online platform for healthcare practitioners that delivers a unified approach to online booking, charting, scheduling, video services, and payment. Allison built Jane with her co-founder and co-CEO, Trevor Johnson, after running her own practice and finding that she needed an all-in-one solution for scheduling, charting, invoicing, and more. Now Jane helps thousands of practitioners across the world with their business side of the practice so they can focus on what they do best, which is helping their clients. Allison's company has gotten here by pushing the envelope and challenging tech industry norms. Jane does not have a sales team. In fact, Allison calls herself the antithesis of sales and lets the product speak for itself. Allison, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. So I just want to start by saying that Jane is one of the few apps, and I know apps really well, that works beautifully. And I have seen failure and failure, especially in the industry that you're working in, which is a difficult industry. There's a lot of edge cases and a lot of need, and a lot of business flows. But the very first time that I used your app to book, I think it was a, a, a needles in the back sort of appointment. Yeah, it just worked. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is incredible, because things don't normally just work. And in fact, when I had my last dental appointment, I told them, throw everything <laughs> you out and go get Jane because this is an awful experience. So tell me about this, the origin story. How did Jane yeah. come by? Yeah, it's, I'm really glad to hear that you have that experience as a as a oh, patient yeah. user. Mm -hmm. So you because we've it's interesting to hear that people consider them themselves users of Jane when they're patients, because our customers mm -hmm. are of course businesses, but now mm -hmm. you're aware that you're using Jane as a patient. Anyway, that's great Every to hear. Um, mm -hmm. And we always are striving to do better with the patient experience. We've actually just uh, put a whole team in place to focus only on the patient experience because we spent so much time focusing on the practitioner experience up until now. So it's going to get wow. even better for you, Chris. I, 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 I color me amazed. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the story of Jane, Jane started, um, I think, as you mentioned there, I own a practice, a multidisciplinary practice in North Vancouver here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I opened it in 2011. That seems like so long ago now, 2011. And it, uh, midwives, chiro, physio, massage, acupuncture, counseling, nutrition, I had NDs at the time as well. A little bit of everything, all operating under, under one roof. We called it canopy for that reason. The idea was that it was like a canopy of practitioners mm -hmm. all in one place. Um, and at the time I was looking specifically for online booking and electronic charting. And so that is something that usually... Um, electronic charting usually exists within a software for a very specific discipline. So it wasn't going to work mm -hmm. for all of my practitioners and online booking at the time did not exist at all in the healthcare space because software is the, most of the legacy software was very much on-prem and I wanted to operate in the new world of the internet. 
Um, this was, I was a new mom. I had two kids and I was pregnant with my third. And I know that whenever I have time to book an appointment, it's 11 o'clock at night and I cannot play phone tag. And so really I was just like, I'm opening a new practice. My business need, I need, I'm convincing practitioners to come work here. I literally would be doing tours and it would be studs. There's no space. I'm like, this is going to be magical. You should all come work here. And then I needed to have a way for patients to book in so that they could fill their caseloads. So it was just a business case. I was searching nothing. There was nothing good out there. I kept showing it to Trevor and Trevor, who is now my co-founder. He was doing my branding at the time for the opening of the practice. Mm -hmm. So the website and the name and the the whole idea around it, his company was working um, with me on that. And then they offered to build me like online booking and charting as part of my website. So actually it just started. We just used it for a year and a half um, attached to my website on site. So it's not mobile first. No, it was part of my website. Yeah. Wow. It has um, such an amazing mobile first feel to, to I, the experience. I'm so pleased that you feel that way because our mobile experience, like it, we also do need to improve on that. I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. I was on a walk and I was thinking about our comparison group. So I'm very hard on myself and we're hard. I'm hard on our team in general. Like I, we, everything should always be better. Mm-hmm. And we just did an engagement survey. And when you put the comparison group, we put top 10% of companies like that. We, that's the, the only place we want to compete is the top 10%. And mm-hmm. patient experience has got to be, we've got to be the best in the top 10%. That's who we're competing with. And in healthcare space, it, it's not a user experience isn't a huge priority. And so we need to be better than, we need to compete with the top 10% in consumer apps, not the ten, mm-hmm. top 10% in healthcare because the bar is too low. Mm. And so mm-hmm. if you want to create a great experience, you have to look for comparison groups that are wider than that. Anyway, so yes, it's not, it's not, web, it's not an app first. And actually it was quite confusing to people that it, we ended up having to take Jane app as a website domain because Jane.com mm-hmm. had just been sold from a, a lovely UK woman, sold it to someone in the States like a week before we asked her about it. Oh no. <laughs> and so we ended up with janeapp.com and everyone now calls us Jane app, but we never called ourselves Jane app. We just called ourselves mm-hmm. Jane. And then people got confused because it's not an app that you download on the app store. It's just a web app, but people don't know what web apps are. Although Facebook is a great example. It's just an, a website that does stuff is basically a web app. In a beautiful little format for mobile. Yeah. And it's obviously mobile friendly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, at the time, you're right. A lot of things weren't being developed with the mobile view in mind, but we did start with the mobile view very much in mind. The patient experience, obviously everyone's on mobile and iPads. And so, yeah. Well, very good. So, so you, you had your own um, facility, your own, your own mm-hmm. practice, and you're also the daughter of two physios. I, yeah. I, I did some, I did some research um, and that operated multiple clinics. So this is in your blood. And this is why I assume you do get that user experience and understanding very, very well. But when you do the journey, when you did the journey, when you mapped out, okay, well, and I'll go from the patient perspective, because that's how I, I, I view it. But obviously, yeah you know, you're selling to the, to, to the actual, uh, you know, practices themselves. Yeah. But when you map out the journey experience, can you tell me the first story of how you mapped that out? Like how you, how you thought it through from a UX perspective? From the patient side or from the practitioner side? Well, you know, give give us, give us either. Cause like I said, you, you nail it. Yeah. And I, I think knowing how maybe you even looked at it from, 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 from a start, um, how, how, how would you, how would you look at that from a UX perspective? 
Yeah, on the practice, well, one of the things on the UX on the practitioner side, if you, you probably haven't experienced it, but a lot of it was to do with the fact that we had to be very, very customizable. So a lot of people, um, often in our space, there'll be like one practitioner that, that teams up with one developer and they create a software that's very specific to literally to them and to how they treat. Um, so like a certain physio or a certain ND, they might build a, a software together but the secret is that not even all physios practice the same way. Like a pediatric physio practice is very different than a pelvic health physio or than a neuro physio. And so if you build a software for one practitioner, it's just going to be too narrow. And so because from the very beginning, we had to build with all of my practitioners in mind, we had to build something that was very flexible and easy to use and customizable. And so we built something that um, you could customize it. So it felt like it was for you not for your discipline. Mm. It was, it's one-to-one, not one-to-many, which is what I, I heard that recently. And I, I actually I love that. Really like that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from the patient side, honestly, I just, we often just say like, would we want to use this? Is this a good experience for us? Like when I go through my, the software I have to use to get my kids report cards, I'm like, this is shocking to me. Mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. I can think is I hope that this is really helpful and useful to the teachers. Like, I hope that this is built with them in mind and maybe not me as a parent in mind. But when we started, we thought about it because I was a practice owner. I'm like, this has to be a great experience for every single user in my practice. And that means it has to work with practitioners who are mostly in charting, administrative staff who are mostly in the schedule and doing insurance billing and patients who are mostly just booking online. But now we're expanding what Jane does within the patient sphere. And so we were thinking about these roles all the time when we were developing and their experience, the patient experience has not changed that much since the very beginning. And so that you still like, it is just like, oh, great. Well, the the fact is, you know, I've gone, I've gone to multiple practitioners and I just log in and it just, it keeps my, you know, it it knows who I am. So it treats me like I'm person number one in the experience. And 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 very rarely will that happen. Like it'll be the practitioners will want to live in isolation. And the fact that you, you know, it's them first, it's their business first, but it's also the user first. And that isolation doesn't exist. You bridge it, you gap it. Um, That's rare. And I think, you know, just from what you touched on, yeah, but what you touched on is how you're not looking just within the practice. You're looking within the greater universe of apps and software and saying, what do they do well? How do I do it well? Absolutely. I don't think anyone else is doing that. So, so listener, I think that this is something that, you know, this is a great lesson. Uh, to take ho- to take home and to take to heart, always be in the top 10, uh, 10% of what, what you're looking at. Uh, just like what Allison, well, Allison shared here. Um, well, well, one other question was, again, and I'm going to harp on UX because I just think you guys nail it like no company I've come across. Do you prototype a lot? Like just create well, dirty, low definition prototypes and test them out? Um. The design specifically comes, everyone talks about like, what do you want? What do you look for in a co-founder? And I'm always mm-hmm. like, well, my co-founder is a designer, a developer, uh, all in one human with people skills. And so I'm like, this is like, yeah, it's like the magical co-founder. And so mm-hmm. Trevor is a designer at heart. He come, he actually, he's done, he's just very creative and a builder. And so most of the design just came from him in the early days. And then now the team sort of just continues to build on that base. So we had a very strong brand identity very early on and very mm-hmm. strong design sense early on. And that came just from having a co-founder, a co-founder who was very strong in that area. And I often talk to companies about this 
and speak on sometimes on podcasts about this, that when you look at every company, every company has a different recipe and usually the recipe of strength comes from the founders. So mm-hmm. I'm very mm-hmm. customer communication. Like that's, I have an English lit background, um, language mm-hmm. communication, customer and, uh, and I came from this industry. So I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And mm-hmm. Trevor is design uh, development, but we don't have sales. We don't have like mar- marketing necessarily in the traditional sense. Those aren't part of our, our core founder recipe. Mm-hmm. And if our company came from like, you can succeed in many ways. And so really leaning into your core values and, and what, just what excites you about your job. So every company mm-hmm. will look different. So if you had a salesperson with a, with a developer, but no design, you're going to end up, you're just going to end up with a different style of company. And then you have to build around that. So yeah, our UX just comes from, that's just Trevor's brain. Like he will look at oh. something and be like, the spacing is slightly off in that lettering. And I'm just like, really? I just can't, I don't know. The corners aren't rounded well, on that. That looks weird. Like he just sees mm-hmm. in a, in a kind of magical way. Well, three, three, three cheers to Trevor. Cause another thing that, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to know about, and this is, I mean, UX, U, UI is a, is, is a skill. UX is a science. That's how I, that's how I always see it. And, um, mm. you know, it's yeah. all psychology right. and all that. And I think he, he, or your team captures it really well because the other problem that I, I could see that I think you guys have handled, um, and I want to know how you handled that, is as you add new services on top of a service that exists, and a complicated one, how do you keep it so simple so it's not a monster? Oh, we feel like it is a monster, Chris. I, <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It, it, the, I was thinking about this because our team, our support team has to do three months of training. That's how long they have to mm-hmm. train to learn the product. Okay. And that's because there's just so much to learn at Jane. There's so much that Jane does. And because of that, what I was talking about before, the one to one, not one to many, every time we put out a feature, it's like, okay, but this feature has to exist in a hundred use cases because clinics are, they're snowflakes. Like they are unique little snowflakes. They all run in their own way. And they all think the way they run is how everyone runs, but it isn't. (laughs) And so they're like, well, why do we, why can't it just automatically do this? I'm like, oh, because you're the only person that works that way. <laughs> and so we have there every, every feature has to come with settings. And so setting up the product um, has shifted over time as we've increased, increased complexity. And that is one of the real challenges is how do we have a robust tool that remains simple in its feel? And I think we have, we're, we have always, there's always development we need there, but we're leaning towards in-app education, um, we have a very, very robust support team. So we have, I think, 80 people now on our support team. And oh. we do free phone support, chat support, email support. We like I get nervous when our customers stop talking to us. When I send mm. a newsletter out, I'm like, I want to know how many people replied to our newsletter because I want them to feel like they're connected to us. So we sometimes say our team is your team. Like you should feel mm. so supported in this. And so as we okay. add some complexity in the setup, if they can set things up correctly at the beginning, then it just runs and feels simple. But there has to be complexity with uniqueness. And so that's mm-hmm. a challenge for sure. Well, I mean, so this is a SaaS play, obviously, which mm-hmm. is wonderful, wonderfully scalable. Um, and you say you don't have a sales team, but it sounds like you have a very large customer success team, I'll call it. Is, is it yeah. more important to have customer success and sales and making sure that everyone's happy and, you know, makes it hard for people to move on? I think it's funny. Often Trevor and I both came from a small business, not tech. So when we started Jane, we just ran Jane the same way we run our small businesses. And as we learned more about the world of tech, I think you said in the intro that we, we 
fuck this trend or we don't, we don't follow convention or something, but I'm like, we literally just didn't know the convention. So it wasn't like, <laughs> we were like that's ridiculous. We're not going to work that way. We just were doing what we thought was the best move for our business. And I recently, we were talking to someone about this recently and they were, t- I had to learn what all the acronyms meant. I didn't know what an SDR was or a BDR. Or I didn't know what all, I was like, why are we doing what? Cause I did the role for, for three years. I was the only support person. I was the only salesperson. Mm-hmm. I was the only customer mm-hmm. person. And so we just scaled the same way that I did the role, which was talking, like talking to customers who were interested in demos, helping them set up their account, supporting them through that all and trying to make sure they didn't churn by keeping them happy. And so when I learned that the customer journey is normally segmented in this kind of way, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting because I could see the business interest in it, but I couldn't see the customer interest in it because from the Mm. customer experience, they're being shunted between teams who are kind of potentially incentivized in different ways Mm -hmm. and they're not getting a unified experience. And so really we're just like the customer shouldn't feel your org chart, like that doesn't, why did that doesn't make sense for the customer's experience? Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. want them to feel cared for. And mm-hmm. so the demo team are not like, there's no sales friction. Like this, the sales team is not incentivized in any way that's going to have friction with the support team or with the product team who have to now develop features. Like everyone's just working as one group. So it does work well for us, but it's just the way we started. We just kept doing the same thing. I'm like, well, that's how I did it. Let's just keep doing that. It makes that. sense. It makes yeah. sense. Well, I mean, I, I still, I still want to just touch on one thing again. You're still listening. You're listening, listening, listening to every, everyone. You know, you're listening to your, oh, your users. God. You're listening to your team. You support. I mean, the support people are going to probably be the, the you know, where you're going to get features from just as much as anything Everyone. else. Is yeah. You know, do, so, do, do you do you do you interview them about that? Like, where did you hear this? What did you what did you learn? So nothing makes me more furious when the product team is like, we interviewed our customers and learned that we want this feature, and I'm like, the support team could have told you that. They've been hearing that for three years, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. There's, as we scale, it's one of the areas that I'm like working really hard I'm calling it the product the product support loop okay. um, but it's actually not just product support it's customer so I feel strongly that our support team needs to be very in, very informed in everything that's going on in the company in order to be good at their jobs and do what they so when, when I onboard um, I do an I do a call with every support person when they graduate at three months and I talk to them through about like what the support seat means to me what it meant to me when I sat in it and what I hope it means to them and I'm like there's three pillars to it um, and if you do the first pillar, you're like a C plus person, like mm-hmm. you can do just mm-hmm. that and you'll be C plus. And I'm like, then you get to B plus with the second. And then you're on A plus if you're getting, if you're getting all three pillars and basically mm-hmm. I'm just like, this is how you kill it in our, in the support seat at Jane. And so the first pillar, um, is just answering questions accurately and quickly. And I'm like, that is literally what the job is, right? You have to get, mm-hmm. you have to answer questions accurately. And in most mm-hmm. companies, that's all you're measured on. Like how many emails can you send in an hour? And that's what gets you to A plus, but at Jane, I'm like, mm, that's only C plus to mm. get E plus is the next part is I'm like, you humanize us as a company and you mm. show that you have ownership of the customers in a way that like our team is your team. And so I said, when someone sends us an email or they call us, they're calling a corporation. Like we are Jane as a company, but mm. when you have a moment to interact with them, we become a team of people helping them and you mm. are representing that. And so the second step is humanizing us and humanizing like creates that relationship. And every time you have an email in the inbox or every time someone signs up and says in the notes, like I'm a technophobe, I'm really afraid of technology. I'm like, it's Mm -hmm. a moment where someone's reaching out their hand as a human and Mm -hmm. we can respond as a company or we can respond as humans. And so I'm like the second part, B plus, you make people feel like we are humans and we have real connection. Mm -hmm. And it's so 
there's some simple things you can do to make that happen. I'm like, even saying like, hi from sunny Vancouver. Do you know why that humanizes us? It's because humans live in a place and corporations mm-hmm. don't and companies live on the internet. And so I'm like, there's some very small things that you can share that just creates this moment of like, I'm a human, you're a human. And then, so that's B plus. If you can, if you can answer lots of emails and make people feel like they're having a real actual human interaction, we're at B plus, but the third part is being improvement minded always. And so mm-hmm. that's that 10% thing. We could always be doing better. Mm-hmm. You have to tell somebody, oh, I know this is a bit confusing and I always have to explain it to people and you just don't tell anybody we're not getting any better. But if mm-hmm. you're on a, on a doing demos and you're like, yeah, and everyone always gets confused here or they don't know what this word means or where I always have to tell them how to get to the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we haven't, we have a, do you, we have a um, customer feature request board that mm-hmm. the customer can request features. And I was feeling really frustrated that we didn't have a way for our team to do that. Like mm-hmm. things that just make Jane better. And so we just launched an internal version of the same type of board. And so now our support team can be like, just make Jane better. And they can just say like, this area confuses people. Here's an example. I've had that. And then people can upvote and um, in our own internal board now. And so I used to say all those three things. And then I used to be like, but I don't really know how you can communicate because our organization is getting to be like to the place where communication is harder. Because I used to be me sitting next to Trevor. I would take a phone call and be like, this should be better. (laughs) Oh my. Uh, And then he would make it better. So it used to be like directly sitting. And I used to say, I want that. I want a designer and a developer sitting next to every support person, but not really possible to scale your org that way. Apparently, it is. It is tough, especially when you have eighty con- customer support uh, team. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot sitting next to them. Um, well, you are a co CEO. Uh, yeah. You and you and Trevor. Where where do the boundaries? You know, where where do you just define the boundaries? And where do you where do you what what about the redundancies? Like, can can you tell me about that? Because that's not that's not yeah. common. I there. I don't think there are redundancies. We have very complementary skill sets. Um, Trevor often talks about it as we just have double the capacity of a typical CEO because there's two of us. So our ability mm-hmm. to do CEO work is doubled, but we, we never even use the word term CEO at the beginning of Jane's story. Cause we're like chief of what, like mm-hmm. <laughs> chief of ourselves. And so we always <laughs> thought it was a little bit of a funny term when people like, I'm CEO. I'm like, you're literally the only person in your company. Like, why are you calling yourself CEO? But we, mm-hmm. we so we called ourselves just co-founders for a long time. And then I think the first time we ever had to use the the CEO label was when we entered the new ventures competition, which I think Mm. um, we might be talking about, but the Mm -hmm. new ventures competition needed a title, an official title. And so we're like, well, I guess just to make this up, like, what are we? And so we had to look at what we did. We had a small team, I think of eight at the time. And we were kind of just looking at what actually did we functionally do at Jane? What was our jobs? Um, and we're also, we're also hyper-competitive humans, both of us. And so we're mm-hmm. like, well, we have to be equals or this won't work. Like we have to be, equal. <laughs> we know that about each other. We have to have, mm-hmm. we have to be equal. Um, but we were also just doing, sharing the CEO. We didn't, we had to look up what does a CEO do? Like, what is the official role of a CEO? Cause we're both very operational, but on the business decisions, on the business side of Jane, we share the, those decisions and we, we just don't. We, we always, we agree before we move forward on what, what is the best path for Jane? Uh, it's kind of like having, you know, parents, you were equally the parent of a company. We are equally in, in charge of the business side of Jane. And then operationally, <laughs> we kind of split into those two areas I was talking about before. And it was just a natural progression of what we did at the very beginning. We were both individual contributors, obviously for a very long time. And then we just <laughs> scaled the organization from there. So 
I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because it just reminds me of my early days of TTT yeah. and it's the exact same thing. Like, you know, we didn't have titles. I mean, I think no. we just came up with president because we are for myself and my brother VP of everything, because it's like, uh, I guess we got to make something official. Uh, and, know. you know, kind of like, kind of like something which you talk, well, tell, tell, tell me about the new ventures competition. Like how, yeah. uh, how did you decide to do it? I mean, you did very well in it, but I don't want to spoil, be a spoiler. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me about it. Yeah. New ventures. Um, in retrospect, it's hard to really understand how some of these moments that you have in your business life, really ch- what they're going to do, how they're going to change your whole mm-hmm. future. Uh, new ventures was one of those. We were, we've been profitable as a company since the beginning. And so mm-hmm we weren't actually interested in fundraising. And the intention of the new ventures competition is to take very small new startup companies and teach them how to pitch for investment. Mm -hmm. That's the intention. It's a wonderful company. It's a a wonderful competition. I would recommend everybody um, Mm -hmm. joins if they're, if you're interested and even if you're not interested in fundraising, which we weren't. So the reason we entered was because there was a cash prize. Like that, Mm -hmm. that's literally why we entered. We're like, we should do this. Mm -hmm. We just want the cash because we're, (laughs) we want to, you know, we want the money to help grow our business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we joked about using it for like a boat cruise for the staff or something, but we really were, were like, we're going to buy Ferraris. <laughs> it was like, it's like $20,000 or something. It was not yeah. enough. Um, anyway, so we were like, okay, we're going to enter for the cash. And so we filled up the forms and then we ended up making it into the finals. And we got introduced in that process to a mentor and our mentor is Todd Carter. And mm. he was a phenomenal mentor. We knew nothing about SaaS metrics. We knew nothing Mm -hmm. about the way that the investment world might want to talk about Jane. We just knew, you know, what was important to us operationally running our business. And he'd asked us question after question that we had to go look up the answer for. And then we ended up building that into dashboards and we learned how to build a deck and all, all the things. It was, it was just a great education. And then we pitched, we pitched, Mm -hmm. Um, and then we ended up coming second in the competition, which to this- Oh, kills me. Second. You know, I don't Second. think James ever won anything. And so microdermics came first. I can tell you mm-hmm. came first. Mm-hmm. Um, needleless needles, if you want to know what we were up against. Needleless needles with a professional CEO from San Francisco. So I'm going to say, fine. Fine, we were second to them. <laughs> But it, it got us on the map in the investment world as well in a way that we never, we didn't know was going to happen. And so ever since then, we've had, we've had a lot of... Um, just inbound interest from investors from the very beginning. So even when, even though we weren't looking to fundraise, um, I used those in, inbound interest calls just to learn about the investment community. I didn't know, knew nothing about it. So I would take calls with mm-hmm. analysts and be like, and listen to the questions they ask and find out what got them excited and what would make them want to talk again. And what, you know, so it was just a really good, I learned all about IRVAR and I read books about investing and you, know, you just want to learn mm-hmm. about that space. Sure. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And oh, I should say Todd then, became an actual, he became, um, an advisor for us. We didn't know anything mm-hmm. about advisory boards, but we had to look that up. And he, we, at the end of the competition, he was in the middle of emailing us like, Hey, that was really fun. Like, can I stay involved? And I was in the middle of emailing him like, Hey, that was really great for us. Would you like to be involved? And we Love kind of it. had like crossed messages and then he became, um, a board member and then he became CFO. So part-time CFO and now he's our CFO. So he has Wonderful. been like instrumental in the, the story of Jane as well. So. Yeah, great competition. Ended up with an amazing CFO out of it. I don't think that, people get it normally. That's that. That sounds like a huge win. Well, is it easier? And I, I think I already know the answer, but I'm still going to ask it. Is it easier to raise money when you don't give a damn about the money? <laughs> um, 
I always, I always say that you can build a great exit if you build a great business, but you can't build necessarily build a great business if all you're after is an exit. So there's kind of always two, there's two worlds kind of operating at the same time. I really love the business, building a great business, building a profitable business and caring about all the metrics that investors care about um, for the most part means that you, you don't have to worry too much about whether you're going to be able to find investment or not. Um, we've definitely found that to be true um, because building a great business with paying customers creates revenue and creates growth and that and low churn and literally all, all of the things that they care about, it happens if you build a great mm-hmm. business. And then these conversations just become completely different and easier. However, we're every company is different. And we as a SaaS mm-hmm. company are in a different place than someone that needs to go through like regulations or like mm-hmm. uh, control or, you know, with an actual product that they need to build and develop with early capital. And so every story is different, but for us, yeah, being able to self-fund uh, and be, we were, we've, we're still profitable. So mm-hmm. learning about a zero cash date was a new idea to us. And it, this all came from our small, small business roots too. We're like you have to make money to hire people, to build your product, to make money. Completely. And so it just made sense to us to build that way. And we had, and well, we had the ability to, so. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I say this all the time. The one thing that drives me, I mean, I, before COVID, I was in San Francisco all the time. And the one thing that always drove me crazy about the San Francisco culture is the very oh, first question I said, how much money did you raise? And I'm like, I didn't, I, I own, it's a business that runs itself. Like it, it's <laughs> self-financing. It's a business. Why do I need to raise money? Yeah. They, um, they you know, raise money on an idea, you know, and, and, and you don't need, I mean, the other thing is, and, and maybe you can touch on this because you did, again, you did raise, were you looking for the money or the, the kind of the positive side that comes with the raise, like the, the expertise, the people, the connections? Well, what was, what was your main goal when, when you did do that raise? Yeah, we did a very quiet raise last year, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And actually the intention for the raise was we were expecting an economic downturn, mm. uh, just the way that the things were happening. And we knew that if we had some cash in the bank during an economic downturn, you're just better positioned as a company to take advantage of, you know, maybe acquiring companies that have like complementary services, or we just wanted to, and the market was favorable for companies like Jane. So this is what I mean about having two conversations at the same time. Um, we're all, and we have an ESOP. So we're also trying to always ensure that our staff are being cared for as shareholders of the company. So you have to be thinking about both of these things at the same time. So when the market is favorable and also works, we were kind of thinking there might be an economic downturn. So we should put some cash in the bank for Jane, just so that we have uh, opportunity and options. War chest. War chest. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yes, in those conversations, when you do not need money, it is hundred uh, percent easier to have this conversation. I think, I mean, I'm assuming mm-hmm. even that that's the only, that's my only experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was the intention of the race. So our staff got to participate. So anyone who uh, had been there from the early days building Jane low, you know, just low wages because it's a small business, small business can mm-hmm. only, we're small, we were a small business, just like my clinic and just like our customers. And I don't think people in the tech world really understand what it's like to be part of a small business because mm-hmm. the way sometimes people talk about small business or about perks or about employee, like, I'm just like, have you ever worked in a small business? I don't think most people have the, the costs. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had a couple of employees who think we make like, we, we like, they're like, Oh, I got to fill in this form. So what do you make a hundred or is it 400 million? It's like, yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> where, 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 where is that reality? And you know, I love the fact that you're calling it a small business instead of a startup. 
I think that's oh. really interesting. It's your, it's wow. your, your roots are definitely it not the tech. And I think that's refreshing. No. Yeah. Well, I went to try and get a loan, like, cause you've, I've always had operating cap, like operating loans, like just overdrafts essentially yeah. for my clinics, because, you know, you always want to make sure you have a bit of a buffer. And we went yeah. to get one at, um, for Jane, which was actually an incredibly difficult process at the time because SaaS companies mm-hmm. weren't well understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we got the the credit facility and it was $2 million. It was like a mm-hmm. fairly large credit facility that we've yeah. never used. And it got announced everywhere as a raise. And I was very confused. By really? That. Yeah. Wow. How did that get public? Jane raises $2 million. I'm like, mm, we didn't. We got a credit facility, like which I've done for all my other businesses. And mm-hmm. never has anyone been like, can it be? <laughs> Rate? I'm like, no, I just got a credit line. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It's an interesting wow. world for sure. The way that that the way that people speak about things is different in the mm-hmm, tech world mm-hmm. and in the growth world than it is in just regular small business world. So. Oh, completely, completely. Well, I'm still, I'm still. I love the fact that you said, you know, even you had to look up at an acronyms, you know, as you're going. Mm-hmm. When you were building, Jane, were you guys going, hey, the SaaS model thing, it scales? Like, did you really understand the power of what you were building, or did you feel like you're just helping customers? Um. Well, my my heart is, I really enjoy helping customers for sure, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's, so there's probably three games kind of all being played at the same time. Cause I do love Mm -hmm. growth, but I was actually challenged on this by one of my team recently, because I do love growth and I want to win, but I want to win in a certain way. So we don't, we want to win because we're the best, you know, not because Mm -hmm. we're trapping people or because we're being you know, insincere or whatever. We want to win in the, in the right way, but we do want to be the best. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so someone was like, well, why do you care about the grow- growing? Like, why does that matter? Growing into something big. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a podcast and someone was talking about their growth goal for some other kind of company, FinTech or something. And I was just like, oh, I don't, I would not be inspired by winning in FinTech necessarily unless mm-hmm. it was for my customer base but I am inspired in winning in like healthcare and helping small businesses and scaling in that type of business because we're helping small businesses like mine. And so the more small businesses we can help, we grow this community of users. We have this Facebook community. It has, I think almost 5,000 members and over 3000 of them are super active. And I'm just like, we're just mm-hmm. bringing together a community of people that generally are actually really quite isolated. Small, like, as you can tell, I have a real heart for small business and they're just not really supported generally. And so I just love that we can be a place that um, we're providing a software, but we're providing team, we're providing support, we're, and then we can branch out from there as we grow as a company, our ability to do more and more things and, ex- and expand into that ecosystem and offer more help. It's really inspiring to me. And then on the other side, I'm also just a lifelong learner. And so if Jane stopped growing, I would be bored. Like if we never added another feature to Jane and if we never grew the company from the size we are now, I would be bored out of my mind. I, I went on three mat leaves. The first, well, I didn't. The first mat leave I did eight months because babies are cute, but they're not very like engaging and doing the exact same thing <laughs> over and over every single day. Like my kids now are 14, uh, 12 and 10, almost 14. And they are, I would spend every hour of every day, just listening to their little brains, tell me things because they're so fascinating, but mat leaves can be a bit challenging when you're, when you need stimulation. I bought like yep, logic yep. puzzle books. Like I was doing logic puzzle books and word games, just trying to keep my, my brain going. But yeah. So if Jane didn't grow, I would be very bored. So part of it is just my own personal passion. Is it fair to say then the business is great, but the journey is greater. Like oh, it's, the it's, the best. 
Yeah. And the people that you bring along the way. Yeah, exactly. So I say this often that when you're in a growth company, it's actually quite strange because you have to go from an individual contributor to a manager, to a manager of managers, to a leader, and Mm -hmm. in a very short period of time. And having never done that before, it's obviously like you got to learn a heck of a lot really fast. So there's lots of like podcasts and I try to reach out. And um, when I listen to a podcast, I often will LinkedIn, cold LinkedIn message the person on the podcast and be like, I really loved it when you talked to me. And people are incredibly generous and they will, they will talk to you, which is so lovely. So I recommend everyone does that. I mean, now that I'm on this podcast, but LinkedIn message people and they will share their experiences with you in really specific and detailed ways. And it's very helpful. But we are a team of, I, I don't know now, 230. I think it changes every day. Wow. If you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I've been explaining this to the team. I'm like, I was, I was like a soloist in a, in a, I was a soloist. And then I became like the lead, what is like head violinist or something. Is that what it's <laughs> okay. And then sure. I was like leading and leading at the same time. And then mm-hmm. now I've just become a conductor. And now my job is just to make sure like everyone's playing the same music and you're not being too loud and you're not going off on some rogue solo. And you all know like the direction of the audience. So you're facing the right way. Like, so being, but you have to do that in a very short period of time. And we talk about if Jane's trajectory is, is growth and you as a human are not growing in your seat at Jane, you're actually falling behind because Mm. the company is going to grow. And if you're not growing, you're going to be behind. Mm -hmm. You have to run as fast as you can just to stay in the same place, which is an Alice in Wonderland quote, which I just heard on a podcast and loved the queen. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's definitely like a, it's definitely a team, um, a joy of the journey for sure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, you, you, I mean, you just mentioned the queen of hearts on, on your website, you're referenced as Jane's queen bee. Oh, it's central to the company. I know I love the marketing, but why did you call the app Jane instead of Allison then? Oh, would you call an app Chris? I call it. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, no one's ever going to do something <laughs> after themselves. I, I think my brother would be upset if I did that. <laughs> totally. It's not because it's not me. The whole idea mm-hmm. is that it's actually like a, it's a helpful being like people personify Jane constantly. So that was really part of the idea was that Jane is Jane. Like I'm not Jane. Jane is Jane. Uh, mm. And that's, that's actually bigger than me. Like it, I'm, I'm too small. You can't name Jane after me. I'm too but, small. But, but you know, if I'm going to stitch some of the stuff you said together, because I think the fact that your company is named after a a Jane, a person, is what you're talking about. You want to humanize it. You're not a corporation. You humanize totally. it so people feel comfortable. And I think the name is the first step in that journey of humanizing. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and people and do, they refer to Jane in a very human way. Like we often hear like, Jane's the employee of the month. And I'm like, oh, I love it. Like, I, I'm so, I so hope that's true. And I hope we continue to deliver on that, that feel that Jane really is like a, a helpful human, but a helpful mm-hmm. being in your practice. But it did, it was a naming exercise. We, we looked at through most of the um, other competitors in our space and they were generally just two clinical names smushed mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Uh, and people often didn't even remember them. Like you would say, well, what software are you using? Mm-hmm. Oh, clinic something. Like they wouldn't even remember the name. They weren't very memorable. So we mm-hmm. did know we wanted to be a little bit different from that. And in the end it was this idea like humanizing. And so we had, I think Jeeves, we had a few different versions. There was, mm-hmm. there was some animal ideas, but in the end, yeah, Jane was simple. It was easy to, easy to spell. Like people, yep. it was memorable. 
And it turned out that way because Trevor and I, like I said, we're not marketing, we're not sales. Well, we're not salespeople. And so for the first three years, we went to every conference, like every, we would go to conferences, Cairo, massage, physio, we set up a big booth and we'd show people Jane and we'd be very eager Mm-hmm. And we would never bring business cards. We'd never get people's contact information. Like, I think you're supposed to get leads there. This is what I learned. I didn't even know what a lead mm-hmm. was. <laughs> but we would just be like, oh, just Google us. Just find us if you're interested. And we did it for product research. And we did it just to like understand the customer. We would we would learn what they liked and what they didn't like when they would do demos. We'd just do demo after demo after demo and be like, oh, that should be better. That should be better. Or oh, they don't like that. Oh, they're excited about that. Um, and then we would just learn how to how to improve. So I, I love, I love, I love what you're sharing again there too, because I always tell people when people ask, okay, how should I sell, you know, what we do? Mm-hmm. And I say, you know what, don't focus on the sales because the sales will come focus on the marketing, focus on people to know your name and yeah. to love it. And, and it's, it's, you know, make it bigger than a transaction because people will, will find out thing, you know, if they're talking to someone and they, they, you know, if they need that service or that product, they'll share it because they remembered you because it was in their heart. And, you know, it was the marketing trends, you know, the marketing, the way you made them feel um, and the way you took care of them by listening, they, okay. they will translate that into their product. They will take care of. It. And I well, think, I think you nailed that yeah. one. Well, who says that? It's not what you say. It's how you make people feel. That's a 100%. very famous I can't remember who is it's attributed to. So we should Google well, that and. Let's say Jane said that one. I did not. That is. Well, I, oh, now you took. Now you took the name, Allison. Come on, come on. I literally try to make. I half the time I'm like, oh, I just sound smart by saying other people's smart things. That's it's a secret. If you want to sound smart, just quote a lot of smart people. Uh, yeah, I, I I did my undergrad in in Russian history and language, and oh. I quote Stalin a lot, and people are really surprised when they find oh. out those are Stalin quotes. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll leave it at that because this is when marketing. I mean, obviously, no one's here kicks me in the button say stop with the Stalin quotes with the I wanted to go back to what you said like how should you sell Mm -hmm. because I always say I'm like well how do you want to be sold to and generally it's Mm -hmm. not the way people are selling and I don't really get the disconnect why do we sell in a way that we don't want to be sold to and I was thinking about this recently and I I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the typical sales motion is directed at enterprises like big companies you have Mm -hmm. to have a sales motion for that you're not selling to a human. But then for some reason, people take that enterprise sales motion and they replicate it when they're selling to consumers or to small business. And those so are different. those are relationship selling. That's very different. You don't want to be sold to in that way, but it has to be that way for enterprise. But for some reason, people don't like contextualize what they're doing into like, well, how, or maybe they just don't understand small business because they've never been part of a small business. Anyway, I just think it's really That's- fascinating. That is such a wise statement. You know, they didn't, they didn't walk in the shoes of the customer and well, they're like, thinking bigger than they need to initially. And uh, I think that's Where they're really just like, well, this worked in this environment. We're just going to do it here. But I'm like, you have to think about small business more like consumer. Would you sell, to, mm. would you sell shoes like that? No, you're going to sell shoes by having like an emotional selling experience and, and a relationship. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm having a good product that other people, they tell other people, tell other people about, and maybe affiliate marketing, perhaps if you have like some influencer, like Lululemon's advocacy program, what are they called? Mm -hmm. I can't remember. Um, Mm -hmm. But the way that people move their enterprise, enterprise selling and small business selling should not be, you you just can't really think about them the same way. And I know this because I'm an enterprise now, Mm -hmm. like my business now is a medium sized business. And how you sell mm-hmm. to me now should be very different because you're working with my team. Then mm-hmm. how you sold to me when I was a small business, you were working directly with me and we were building like relationship, but now you're working with a team. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a little bit different. 
Anyway, so interesting. No, I, I, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Well, you know, the theme, the theme of uh, the Afternoon Tea podcast is, you know, to talk to wonderful uh, Canadian um, founders like yourself in order to learn from their journey. So tell you what, can you share one piece of advice for a younger Canadian founders that uh, maybe, well, besides all the great advice you've been giving already, um, can you share one piece of advice that you think uh, everyone should know? I literally was just talking to someone about this recently. Um, we, from the very beginning, have had independent board members. Mm-hmm. And if you are scaling a company, it's surprising to me when I hear about people, especially if you're going to take investment, who have only founders and investors on their board. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge mistake. And the reason is there's a, people are, especially if you've never done this before, everybody has like a a kind of a narrow vision of what their role is and what the reason is for them being part of your company. And having independent board members can have a little bit of a a wider view, especially if they're in, they're either experienced CEOs scaling companies, um, or they have really specific industry experience that makes sense for you. You're just going to get a lot of great input. And so we from the, we've had independence from the beginning. Uh, mm. And I can't tell you how valuable that's been. We've had um, amazing, wonderful, supportive independent board members. And that's really been helpful for us having just a, a broader input of, I just call them the grownups, like they're the grownups and they're mm. so supportive of us. Um, and so I would really recommend both having independence and then also having people on your board that you like personally, like mm. you don't take any assholes because you want your board to be supportive <laughs> of you. Yeah. No, but, but you want the honest, I mean, oh, I like what you're saying about the independence. You that. want the honest. You do. Yeah, 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 yeah. we're good. We're good. I There's assholes right. all over the world. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I, I, I really love that. Well, well, one, one last question. And again, staying with the theme of Canada, because uh, that's really what we want to be touching on here. Is there a Canadian entrepreneurial star that, you know, you either look up to or that, you know, you, you, you think, wow, I, I, I want to be like this person or I want to learn from this person. Is there anyone that you can uh, share? We were um, part of the Lazaridis Scale-Up program. Have you heard of that mm-hmm. program? It's incredible. Uh, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to plug it right now. Anyone that's Good. listening, you should all do it. It's, it's amazing. We, I think we were part of the cohort like three years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we still use the mentorship that was provided from that, um, that program. But I, I think we got to hear Mike from Point Click Care speak. And I don't know if you know Point Click Care. It's very relevant, obviously, to our industry. But mm-hmm. he, people reference like your Glassdoor CEO review, like review number, and he his he has kept a real the a value based company even at scale at a really mm-hmm. huge scale, and that's I'm I really um, I think that's really amazing. And so mm-hmm. I I want to dig more into his story. I've heard him speak, but I haven't actually spoken to him personally. But I keep thinking I should see if I can get connected to him and hear like how did you create values at scale. And he's in a healthcare space similar to ours. He sells to um, extended care homes mm-hmm. all around North America. Anyway, lovely. So I just think everyone should look to him as an example of how you can scale with heart, um, how you can Wonderful. scale while respecting your 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 staff and your team. So yeah, that is so important. That that's you know what I I, I really appreciate you sharing that one because I, I think I mean I, what what I'm seeing you know again co-CEO, great company, but I see such a spiritual side in you in the sense of, you know, you're talking about conductors, but I actually think, you know, you're, and, and, and I don't want to say this because I mean, you have, you know, three beautiful children. I think my children direct me and what I do as well, but this, this spiritual conductor maternal, like all of these things, 
have formed what you have done in a company. And I think that spirit is, is, is comes out in why your product is so good and why you want to take care of everyone. And I'm making, I'm making some huge, huge generalizations, but just from this quick conversation, you know, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm really impressed and really amazed. I just want to applaud you and uh, wow. Trevor for, for creating such a great business. And I can't wait for you to take on the whole world. And, you. Uh, you know, so Jane is the global owner, <laughs> owner of, 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 of like every it. medical clinic um, on earth. Yeah. Thank you. That is, I, I'm going to rewrite my, uh, our goal statement now. <laughs> well, continuous improvement as you, as you <laughs> always said there, as you said there too. Well, Hey, Alice, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was, it was, it was so much fun. And, uh, I, 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 I learned a lot, which, which, is, which is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was so much fun. Super, super, super. Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode, and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T. That is three T's dot studio. You will notice there is no .com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at TTT underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.